Welcome to the Alabaster Bible, an anthology short fiction podcast focused on gothic horror and magical realism. Please be warned that this podcast may address themes that are unsettling or triggering to some listeners. Content warnings will be provided before each episode, and listener discretion is advised. Today's episode is Lonely Place. This episode contains content warnings for discussions of the death of a mother, stalking, harassment, and discussions of police intimidation. I now invite you to come in, make yourself at home, and listen to the tales of the Alabaster Bible. Ellen was ten when she found the store for the first time. She was traveling with her mother, making their way down from Oklahoma through Texas, headed down to Houston. Her mother always hated driving on the highways, so they kept to the back roads. She always said it was cheaper not to take the toll roads, but as Ellen grew older, she began to suspect it had more to do with a deep an abiding fear of something out on those monolithic slabs of concrete and asphalt. She spent the trip mostly staring out the window. Reading in the car made her stomach ache and wondering about the various old places she saw along the road. It was in one of those nothing places, a strip of land somewhere between Dallas and Austin, that her mother decided to pull over at a tiny gas station to fill up the car. They rolled up on the gravel lot and stopped next to a dilapidated self-service pump. Ellen's mother got out and Ellen was free to wander around and stretch her legs as long as she didn't go out of earshot and came back right away when she was called. While her mother began the long process of filling the car's tank from the aging pump that seemed to only be capable of a mere trickle, Ellen walked along the corner of the lot the gas station sat on. Sitting back from the pumps was a small convenience store, the kind that exists only to serve the sheer necessity of travelers. Ellen wandered over, half skipping along and kicking bits of gravel out of the way as she approached the store. There was no name on the side, only posters that advertised their low, low prices on soft drinks and hot dogs in faded ink and peeling paper. The door itself was covered in the mostly illegible posters. Her curiosity overcoming her natural fear of this strange place, Ellen pushed open the door and stepped inside. The wave of air conditioning hit her sharply and everything got quiet, as if the heat outside was the noise and the noise was the heat. As far as she could tell, there was no one in the store, not even a clerk behind the cash register. The usual shelves and cold cases were there, row upon row of chips and jerky and little bags of candy, drinks toward the back, tucked away behind clear glass. Ellen walked toward the back of the store, drawn to the case of soda. Her mother had given her a dollar before they started their trip, told her that she could buy anything with it. And in that moment, in from the heat of the Texas summer, what Ellen wanted more than anything was to buy herself a soda. She walked to the refrigerator and picked out the first thing she saw, a bottle clad in a blue and pink label that claimed to be flavored like cotton candy. Ellen was about to take the bottle to find someone to give her dollar to when she heard something from the front. 
She wasn't alone anymore. Before she could think what she was doing, Ellen slipped quietly behind a nearby display of potato chips, hunkering down and keeping herself out of view. From the front of the store, she heard footsteps as someone began to move around. She didn't know why, but Ellen had the distinct feeling that she shouldn't be seen by this intruder, that being seen would cause some irreparable tear that couldn't be mended. Cautiously, she crouched and peered out from around the four-line bags to see what terror now stalked at the front of this place. To her surprise, Ellen saw a woman standing there at the entrance to the store, looking around with confusion on her face. The woman had a sort of vaguely familiar look to herself, something about the shape of her face that reminded Ellen of her own mother. But this wasn't her mother. This stranger carried herself very differently from the easy confidence that her mother walked with. The woman began to walk, turning to approach the very display that Ellen was hiding behind. Ellen froze, not wanting to make a single sound that would give her away. But as suddenly as the woman had begun to walk toward Ellen's hiding spot, she stopped and turned on her heels, and she was gone. Ellen still didn't see anyone working in the store, so she put a dollar on the counter to pay for the drink and stepped back out into the sweltering midday heat. The soda was cooled against the furnace of the day, and Ellen had downed the whole bottle and tossed it in the trash before her mother even began to call for her. Back at the car, Ellen's mother smiled at her daughter. What did you get up to? Ellen began to tell her about the store and how she'd gone in and bought a drink and how she just left the money on the counter because no one was there. And there was a strange woman, but Ellen hadn't spoken to her because her mother always told her not to talk to strangers. Ellen began to speak, but the words died on her lips before they were even half formed. She looked back, and the store wasn't there. Ellen was 15, and her mother was out late a lot, involved in things she wouldn't talk about. Ellen speculated, but all she knew for sure was that her mother would come home exhausted and lurch into her room before collapsing into the bed. She would be up at strange hours and leave without warning, sometimes for days at a time. After a few years, it simply became routine. Her mother would leave her money to buy pizza and then disappear. Her mother would come back and collapse in her room. She had begun to suspect there was something more to her mother's refusal to drive on the highways. As Ellen approached the age when she was going to learn to drive, she'd talked to her mother about it. In one of those brief moments of lucid conversation that she was allowed in between her mother's strange comings and goings, she'd asked about the highway. No, don't go there. She asked what her mother meant, and her face had taken on a shadow quality. We don't go on the highways, Eleanor. And that was it. Her mother never called her that, never used her first name unless it was something deadly serious. She saw her mother less and less as that final, fateful year wore on. It wasn't a milestone day, just an ordinary Thursday in the middle of Ellen's 15th year. Her mother had been out the night before, and when she came back in the morning, she seemed different than usual. Ellen was in the living room watching television when her mother came back, and she looked frightened. 
She ran up and looked at Alan as if there was something deeply wrong with her, but she didn't say anything. There was a swath of bandage running up her mother's right arm, stained the rust color of blood that was just starting to age. She just stared and didn't say anything. Then she walked into her room and locked the door. From inside, Ellen could hear sobbing and the sound of furniture being moved around. Then, there was only silence. The next day, her mother was gone before Ellen woke up. Two days later, she found out her mother had been on the highway. The cop that showed up at the house that evening said that she'd been killed instantly, that the driver of the semi-truck hadn't even seen her. She was in his blind spot, they said. Ellen never quite believed all that. The cop had a strange look to them, and they spoke with a smile, because she was still a stupid child, and she was supposed to believe those things without question. And when she learned to drive at 16, she stayed off the highways. For almost the next 10 years, Ellen grew into a woman strangely haunted by, of all things, her experience in the store all those years ago. She struggled desperately to remember the gas station along the sleepy Central Texas back road where it had been. She tried to remember what the name of the soda she'd had to drink was. It was as if she were gripped by a strange kind of nostalgia, where if she were able to find the store once again and drink that same sugary concoction, she would once again be transported back to a happier time. A time before her mother had been in and out of the house without reason. A time before she spoke in hushed tones about how they stayed off the highways as if it were a matter of life and death. A time before her mother had been murdered. She struggled to remember what it was they'd been doing out there on the road that day. Why had they been traveling where they were? Why had they been moving from Oklahoma down to Houston? They had no relations there that she was aware of. What had happened when they got to Houston? Had her mother gone out and come back with new injuries that she didn't want to talk about? Had Ellen simply been too young to notice? How long had it happened? How many times had she been in the exact same position and simply not remembered or not noticed because she was too young? Why did her mother really want to stay off the highways? 24 years old and it wasn't a milestone day for Ellen. Just a random Friday in June. Late for a job interview up in Dallas, she broke her mother's cardinal rule. She took I-35 up north, got on the highway. She made it about 10 minutes before she saw the blue and red lights flashing behind her. Ellen pulled over to the side of the highway and the cop car pulled up behind her. But this didn't look like a normal cop car. It was all blacked out all over. Even the front window looked blacked out. Nervously, Ellen waited with her license in hand as a person walked up to the door. Their skin was sallow and pale, and they were wearing a plain black uniform that didn't quite look like a cop, but rather what someone thought a cop might look like. Her hands shaking, Ellen went to hold out the license, but the cop refused to take it. Do you know why I pulled you over? She shook her head, and the cop laughed. <laughs> Basic principles of causality, ma'am. 
She stared at the cop and they laughed again. It had a dry, hollow sound to it. She didn't like the way their voice sounded. (laughs) Been operating outside your framework again, Eleanor. She looked at the cop, careful not to meet their eyes. Consider this your warning. Your only warning. They turned and walked back toward their car with the strange blacked out windows. But before they got back in, they stopped and spoke again. And Ellen could hear their voice as clear as if they were standing right next to her. Do you remember your mother's name, Eleanor? And the strangest thing was, she didn't. She saw them more and more now. The things that dressed like cops, but weren't cops. In fact, she was fairly sure she didn't see cops anymore, just the things. She wondered how long it had been, how long ago she'd been naive enough not to see. Maybe that was why she wanted to find the store so badly, to go back to a time when she saw everything in a rosy light, where police were there to protect her. Or at least, people who looked like her. But she couldn't go back. Couldn't return to seeing things that way because once her eyes had opened up, there was no closing them again. No drifting back off to comfortable, pleasant sleep. The only thing that remained was to be careful. To watch what she said and who she said it to. To always be looking over her shoulder for those blacked out cars. And to stay off the highways. Ellen was 25 now and traveling down from Oklahoma, past Dallas, down on her way to Houston. Folks down there knew some things about the cops that were following her more and more now. Knew something about the blacked out cars. Knew ways to get around their constant watching with their dead eyes. Knew how to avoid their patrols and keep moving. She was always moving now, didn't have a steady job to hold down or a regular place to live. There was always some connection, some person that a trusted contact knew. She would stay with them for a few days, work a few odd jobs, then she would keep moving. Sometimes, the people who helped her would just be gone. She'd go to check the back channels online and no one knew who they were anymore. No one had heard of them. It was like they'd been disappeared from reality itself. Ellen thought it was a silly thing to think, It was perfectly reasonable to assume they just dropped out of touch and the groups were always shifting, so of course no one knew who they were. But that never sat quite right with her. She was south of Dallas, keeping to the lonely back roads that burned their ways through the countryside, and she had a destination in mind, the collective right outside of Houston where she could stay for at least the week. They knew how to avoid the surveillance and keep themselves hidden. The road took a curve and she had to cross under the highway, only for the briefest of moments and then she would be safely on the other side, but Ellen still tried to avoid coming near the major roads whenever possible. Up on the overpass she saw them, three of the blacked out cars sitting there, four of the cops. She knew by now that they weren't cop things, but just cops standing there 
watching, waiting. Ellen made a U-turn, taking the road back to the last intersection. She'd have to cross the highway somewhere eventually, but it wouldn't be there, and it wouldn't be then. The risk was too high. They were waiting for her. She wouldn't get another warning. She put a half-hour row between herself and the cops waiting on the overpass, out onto some of the smallest back roads she could find, out into the wilds where they didn't usually go, away from the places filled with life and energy they could leech off of. Ellen drove until the car's fuel light came on, and she knew that she needed to find gas before long. Whether or not the blacked-out cars drove on the back roads, there were other things to fear out here. Men who loved the things in the blacked-out cars more than they loved their own humanity. The ones who wouldn't even bother to issue her a warning. Who wouldn't lecture her before they killed her and dumped her body somewhere that only the wild pigs would find it. A tiny gas station struggled to be seen among the overgrown weeds and trees that lie on the side of the road. Ellen pulled over. As she rolled onto the gravel of the gas station lot, a wave of remembering swept over her. Ellen looked past the pumps. She saw it. Even though the memory was 15 years faded away, she still knew it with a clarity that was almost painful. It was the same store that she'd seen when she was a child. Even the signs on the windows were the same, offering the same low, low prices on soft drinks and hot dogs and faded ink and peeling paper. She got out of the car and began to walk toward the store, toward the past. It was exactly like she remembered. The air conditioning hit her as she opened the door, dropping the heat and humidity from outside and enveloping her in silence. The noise and the heat were the same. And somewhere inside that store, she was waiting, hoping not to be seen. Ellen looked around the store, at the shelves full of chips and jerky, at the cold cases in the back filled with drinks. There was a bottle of soda with a blue and pink label that claimed to be cotton candy flavored. It was the best soda she would ever taste, and she would never find it again. She started toward the back of the store, toward that place she'd been hidden down behind the foil bags of potato chips. Something in her told her to stop, that if she kept going it would cause some irreparable tear that couldn't be mended. So Ellen turned around and walked out, back into the blistering heat of midday, back to her car where she drip-fed gasoline in from the aging pump until the tank was full. When her daughter came back, Ellen smiled down at her. What did you get up to? The girl started to answer, but then stopped, as if she just remembered something important. Ellen looked up, past the pumps, and the store was gone. With a shrug, Ellen told her daughter to get back in the car. They had a lot of ground to cover before dark, and they had to stay off the highways.
Perhaps you find yourself wondering who I am exactly. You know the name August, and you know my voice, but what more do you really know about me? Do you know how long and far I've wandered? How much I've seen? Do you know how I walked along the northern shores before a single person came to settle there? How I moved through the ages, changing my face and my voice as it was required of me. I found others like myself, those who have long suffered the many sins of humanity on this world. If we meet again, perhaps I can tell you other things, deep things that are only known to a few. Or perhaps you do not want this from me. Perhaps you would prefer to live out the remainder of your life in the kind of bliss that only the truest ignorance brings. If that is the case, then I promise you that we will never speak again. Thank you for listening. This podcast wouldn't be possible without your support. And I want you to know that I appreciate each and every one of you. If you like our work, please leave a comment or review. You can follow us on Twitter at Alabaster Bible or reach us by email at thealabasterbible at gmail.com. This podcast is written and produced by Janiah Riley. Narration for this episode was provided by Janiah Riley, and the theme song was composed by Funk McLovin. We hope to see you next time, and remember to watch yourself out there. You never know what's watching back. <laughs>